Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and this week I welcome a fantastic guest to the show. Phil Kirshner is a senior expert and associate partner of real estate, people and organisational performance at McKinsey. He spent the past decade working at the forefront of innovation in workplace strategy for organisations like Credit Suisse, JLL and WeWork and he now advises executive teams on the future of work and post-pandemic workplace strategies including how to innovate while also smoothing the path the new ways of working. We had a great chat in which we discussed why businesses should be thinking about workplace activation, the effect of employees' experience on their propensity to come into the office, the future of the flexible and near home market, and why purpose matters. If you enjoy this episode, make sure you check out my previous conversations with Draw Poleg, Lindy Gratton, and Tim Oldman, which I'll link to in the show notes. You'll also be able to hear the latest research on hybrid and remote working in next week's show when I interview Christine Armstrong. Very quickly, my book is out in a couple of months' time, so if you're interested in hearing my take on the future of work and careers, you can pre-order a copy now. But that's enough preamble, let's jump into my conversation with Phil Kirshner. So Phil, we were just talking about Tim Oldman and Leesman, and um, I found an insight they shared about a year ago really interesting, because essentially it was saying that the average home can support employees better than the average office, which leaves me thinking... What's the point of the office? It's a great question. The point of the office, historically, right, has been the, it, it's the factory of the knowledge worker. Right? We've grown into offices, not because they were uh, amazing, but because of long-standing beliefs, sort of management constructs for profitable organizations. Um, they were not meant to be somewhere that people liked. They were meant to be somewhere that maximized productivity for mm. a company. Uh, but what we've discovered over long periods of time, especially as you know, our expectations of experience outside of work have increased, that employees are more vocal about the things that do or don't support them when they're in the office. And uh, you've got companies that are forward thinking enough as to ask their employees what they think. Mm-hmm using mm-hmm. Leesman or some other right. survey methodology. And many of them found, as, as Tim and Leesman have uh, shown with sort of the largest um, and most independent of the data sets out there, that you're right. Even very well-appointed offices don't serve all of our work needs very well. And in fact, most of them are not served that well in the office. Uh, and for the you know thousands of companies that may have taken a survey approach to understand employee preferences in the office, there were exponentially more who never asked, probably because they didn't want to know the answer yeah. or couldn't do anything with it. Yeah. Um, so it's not that the, I think the, the, you know, the question is, what is the role of the office? Um, it's rather that the purpose of the office as a you know means for the organization to derive productivity out of the individual shifting now to uh, the individual wanting to vote with their feet and say, yeah. I'm not going to do work for you in a place that doesn't suit my needs. Yeah. You said something really interesting there, which is true. And it's one of those insights, which is obvious when you say it, but I haven't necessarily thought about it in the way that you described it. And it was essentially that most people didn't ask because they didn't want to know the answer. Yeah. So why didn't they want to know the answer? What it what was it? Could it be that they've got these sunk costs? You know, they own this office space. Could it be that they just 
can't envisage a world where they can't see people on their seats in the office? Is it because just thinking about a new way of working means having to invest in skills in people? Or is it just, you know, they just couldn't be bothered to think about it? You know, from the insights that you've got, what are the primary reasons for that? Yeah, I think you hit the the first one on the head. Um, real estate is sort of usually assumed to be the second largest cost base for most companies after their people. So yeah. to ask a survey and to then have the employees know that you know that they know it's not great <laughs> uh, is a little embarrassing. And also um, a lot of companies are sensitive to both survey fatigue with employees yeah. and they tend to survey them about quite a lot anyway. Um, but in the case of real estate, if I ask you what could be improved and you tell me, even if I say, great, I'm going to action that information, it might take three years. Yeah. Or it, it's someone counterintuitive to say, hey, people in New York, could I ask you some questions that I'm going to use to help your colleagues in London whose, you know, whose lease expires next. Um, so it's very difficult to, to sh um, you know, demonstrate results or progress to an your average employee through a workplace survey because the walls and the, you know, the desks and everything around them don't move very often, mm. which is one of the reasons I'm a big proponent for uh, kind of workplace activation and things that can happen sort of above the hardware, say sometimes like the software above the hardware, because if I tell you I don't like, you know, both my desk, but also I didn't like that event that happened last week, I might not be able to buy you a new desk immediately, but I could, I could try a different event next week. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like as long as I see some, uh, some type of flexibility or responsiveness, it will make me more likely to continue telling you what I think. I've not heard that phrase put like that, workplace activation. Well, yeah, I, I think one of the things that is so compelling for many workers about community-oriented workplaces, like co-working, not exclusively, mm -hmm. but... Um, and I say this as someone who obviously like has spent time in that industry working at WeWork, but across um, co-working and other forms of community-oriented event uh, workplaces that have, you know, an ambassador team, a, a community team, someone whose job is to you know, be responsive to the the atmosphere the energy, the needs of the workers who may actually be from multiple companies, right? Not, not just one in like a shared workplace sense. Um, and can change the music, can run a different kind of event, can mm -hmm. reconfigure the furniture in yeah. like a lounge setting, right? Um, and, and for any worker just to see that those things move and, and, uh, and change and evolve based on weather, mood, like big winds, um, recent activity. Like it, it just makes us feel that it's dynamic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is which is something we expect in almost any other part of our retail consumer lives. Mm. 
Do you see then the results of that in terms of footfall into the offices? You know, so where companies are, and it doesn't necessarily need to be in a shared space, but where they've got that kind of programming involved in the way in which they manage the worker experience, are you seeing right now that employees, that workers have a higher propensity to come back into the office where that's been thought about and activated well? Yes, and I think we see that in, in two different types of, um, of data. One, even going back to Lisa, we've seen this with, with our own clients, um, within the same company with multiple offices or multiple locations, but like same culture. So you can sort of take that off the, off the table. Um, mm. Offices that were scoring higher, say on experience, on overall kind of perceived productivity and effectiveness before COVID, people are coming back more. Mm. And I've had more than one uh, experience lately learning from a developer or from a co-working company in a building with a developer partner or like operator partner that the average um, daily utilization of, let's say, a co-working location within a larger office building is higher than the prevailing rate of the whole building. So the, the sort of co-working and community members in the same physical location are showing up at a higher rate than, let's just say, the normal employees working in the normal mm. uh, tenancy upstairs. Right. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that those spaces are more activated, you know, with, with, with community management and events, music, energy, buzz, whatever you say, and higher degrees of technology, personalization, choice on where you sit, than the, you know, even very nicely appointed offices that may be upstairs from a more traditional occupier. Yeah. So I'm trying to put this into context into the businesses that I've been involved in. So I ran my own digital advertising agency for 10 years and we were a small business, right? So we did, and we, we at that time, we always had our own office space and uh, I think we, it was relatively well appointed and I don't think we were consciously thinking about it in this way, but I suppose we activated activities in our own way, but it was never at scale. So the frequency with which we'll be able to do it would never be, you know, in, in, to the same degree as, you know, if we were in the WeWork in Bishopsgate in central London, for example. So I'm just, I'm thinking about then, from the point of view of shared office spaces, is the future for small and medium-sized businesses, say, is the only option to go into that type of environment? Because if we really want to get people back into the office, if you're a large company and you can afford to program it in your own way, then I guess that that's an option. But for a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, you don't really have the resources or necessarily the money to be able to do that on your own. So I'm just thinking about that new role of community by definition, that has to be of a certain scale and that has to require a certain amount of investment. So, I mean, what's your view on that? Like, how do you see the differentiation between the small, medium-sized businesses and the larger ones? Uh, so you've had a couple good points there, maybe working backwards just from Flex and the traditional member base. Yeah. Um, yes, historically, across all Flex and co-working providers, where, and this is usually a surprise, like if you add up the WeWorks, the Regis's, 
you know, industrious, convenient, all the biggest players taken together still are not the dominant percentage of the total flex market, right? There's a very, very long tail. And it's not like mm -hmm. you have two or three players who take up 85% of the market. We're just not there yet. Um, it was always small and medium businesses or solo entrepreneurs uh, who were the primary customer. And the experience of those members tended, uh, in my experience anyway, at WeWork, to be higher than those of the average member from a corporate. Uh, not just because of the size of the company, but because the, let's say, 20 people from your digital marketing company in London who have residence in some local co-working place, um, you were probably there as the as the leader mm. for the tour. Like, you made a retail-oriented decision that you like this place. Yeah. What it looks like, what's happening here, who else is here, where it is exactly. And so like the decision maker is sat there yeah. <laughs> living in, in the place that they, that they bought effectively. Um, most members from a large corporate, like a multinational corporate in that same building, let's say with you in the co-working site in London, uh, they probably didn't make that decision. Someone half a world away might've put them there in lieu yeah. of putting them in another office. Mm. And I think there's tremendous opportunity for those folks to uh, improve their overall experience through the like really just the messaging um, of what they you know the, the role that that community plays for them because uh, I saw quite a lot you know I would take my however many London employees and drop them into a co-working place but then you tell them like you can't participate in the community you have to sit in your little box hmm. you can't go to the events you can't use the app uh, there's there's this sort of legacy assumption from the you know the real estate group from information security from everybody being like no no you can't you couldn't possibly participate in the community but of course the community is what drives a lot of that experience um, and then back to the beginning of what you said and I think maybe it's it's important to set this um, context none of what th this whole conversation gets very limited when you use the word office. Mm. And it's important to think about employee and employer desire and demand and benefit from physical workplaces. Yeah. And as we're talking about co-working, like, I, I may not think that my office, my company's corporate office, which is an hour away from me, is worth my commute. But there might be a perfectly good any other kind of workplace five mm -hmm. or 10 minute walk from my house. Yeah. Maybe it's a formal workplace, like a, you know, we work or otherwise, but maybe it's just, it could be a coffee shop, a library, a community center, a hotel, anything else. Um, and if that experience is both better than my home, maybe at least, you know, so I'm not home all the time in the same little box yeah. um, and better than my company office, I'm going to make that choice. Right. So, just because I have the freedom to be at home doesn't mean that I necessarily want to be there. We like to be around other people. I think people are the big, we, we are the amenity right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that actually that's why I'm quite bullish about co-working spaces, because if you think about the near home idea and which is pretty much as you described in a, I don't know, 15 minute 
radius of where I live in terms of walking, I can I, I know off the top of my head there's ten different places offering flexible desk space of varying sizes. You know, some right. would be and maybe maybe twice as many that aren't like offering workspace so much as saying, oh, you can sit here. Yeah, yeah, well, gonna, yeah, hard, you hundreds, <laughs> hundreds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you think about cafes and things like that, but I think the difference with the, I think the intentional nature of those shared spaces. I think that's the difference for me. If I was going to bother going somewhere, I don't get me wrong. I, I quite like going and sit in a cafe occasionally and sticking my headphones on. Pre-COVID, that was what I would do to go and get peace and quiet and work and get focus time. Now my home office is set up to be able to give me all of those things. I need something a lot more to be bothered to consistently go out, which is why, as I said, that's why I think that physical workplace which has been designed, has got community in it, is appealing because it gives that kind of connectedness and relatedness with others as well. And I think actually, from my point of view, I see that as a you know very modern way of working. Some of the benefits of working within a team or within a, an environment with other people, with people who don't actually, you know, they don't share the same employer, they don't share the same client necessarily. But actually, if you go to the same place with the same people consistently, you start building some of those senses of relatedness, which you'd otherwise get. Um, when you're in an office with your traditional team. So anyway, I yeah, like that. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And and it's not just about, like you're right, you, you are in a home office where you've controlled every little detail, right? Mm-hmm. You pick the desk, the chair, the microphone, the monitor, orient the room, exactly what you want, set the temperature, it's just you. And so the bar is pretty high to get you to leave. Um, but even when we think, like, even just this circumstance, right? Like you're home in a, effectively a self-created podcast studio. Um, I thankfully am in a, you know, in a corporate office with pretty good network and <laughs> have headphones that I've found to be reasonably good. Yeah. But, you know, in the future, if it was doing some kind of an event, you might've said to me, Hey, like, uh, why don't you go five minutes away to some local workplace that actually has like a podcast studio, like a recording studio that you can use. Maybe it costs you $20. Maybe your company pays, maybe you pay. Say, yeah, yeah, I'll expense you going like a few blocks away. Yeah. So even it will become more, more and more common to get some element that you need in that moment, higher, uh, higher fidelity equipment, a specific, element of community, an event you yeah. want to go to. All you need is the one thing for that one period of time. And it could be really close yeah. to your house. And I, I think we will continue for that reason to see the sort of main and main small town, small footprint co-working, for lack of you know a, a more generic term, uh, showing up everywhere to say, yeah. look, it doesn't have to be all day. We're not going to have days in the week saying it could be two hours in the middle of your day that you want that. And that's a huge um, net positive for your overall experience and productivity. Yeah. Are you seeing or are we seeing things like that? Do you see that situation where you say, actually, here's the co-working space which specializes in high fidelity audio equipment if you're a podcaster or recording or you know, we've got great video equipment if you want to record professional level video. Are we going to see that as a value proposition from different spaces or are we seeing it already i think we're starting to see it already i think there are both you know re- specific types of resources that are showing up and, and even the popularity of, of small co-working spaces that are geared towards niche communities is not new 
right? Mm. Um, come hang around other designers, other writers, other lawyers, yeah, other you know actors. But there's workplaces for everybody, so I, I think it's an easy extension um, to see specific physical resources and technology showing up to be helpful to the people that are most inclined to go to a particular community. Um, but a really interesting finding, been, been holding back on the stats, but I, I have one for you. Okay. Uh, we recently, uh, McKinsey recently surveyed some 300 odd kind of CXOs on a variety of topics. Um, but there was a, a section around flexibility in real estate and a lot of the answers were pretty in line with, with what I would assume, but there was one that really jumped out at me and we asked, you know, how are you supporting individual employees to be more flexible, like work anywhere successfully? Yeah. And you know, about a dozen options in the answer. And the, the number one option was providing access to flexible workplaces more than the internet, more than buy you a chair, more than rethinking like benefits and stipend, right? Access to flexible workplaces was number one. And I would have expected we we would get there eventually, but I was surprised to see it now. And it wasn't, to be fair, it wasn't like 10X the next answer, but it, it eked out to the front. Um, and as soon as, it's more common that a large employer is not carrying what's the average 10 to $15,000 per seat per year mm. for you. If they don't have that burden and you say, Hey, can I like spend 50 bucks once a week to go? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, but we're still in this moment now where most you know, most employers are still carrying that cost. So they're afraid yeah. to layer in something new and, and experiment. Yeah. Uh, obviously things have changed. It's very difficult to see that they'll ever go back, but you've, I know written about the connection between purpose and the office. So maybe you could explain Have, have we lost some of that have we lost some of the benefits of shared purpose or like everything else are we just recreating or recalibrating and reimagining how we create purpose yeah so there's two purpose is a great topic um and there's two ways to look at it one totally independent of workplace like just take the office off the table um our own and other research has shown that individuals who find that there is alignment between their own personal purpose, sense of purpose, value system, like fulfillment in life, and their company's stated mission, vision, values, like the, the stronger that alignment, the more likely you are to you know, be engaged, uh, to stay, to tell your friends. It seems sort of logical, but there is mm -hmm. a there's a, uh, a real body of research around the importance of alignment to your own sense of what's important to you. And over time, uh, I think that that muscle is stronger, kind of the younger you are. There's a broad generalization, but like kind of millennials yeah. and, and Gen Z uh, are much less likely 
to just like take a job because for a company whose purpose is like meh, right? Like mm. 50 years ago, you you went to work. It was, yeah. like, it was work. Now it's like no, I if if thousands of people who follow me on whatever platform are going to know what I choose to do in my life, like it's important that 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 aligns with what I stand for. Um, and in that context, the physical workplace is a very strong potential way for a company to signal what they stand for. Yeah. And in the past, that probably materialized mostly in you know physical branding and signage. Ah, look at our history. Look at our our values on the wall. But even with highly branded offices, had you asked the you know head of corporate real estate, what is the purpose of this office in London? Their answer probably wouldn't have been much better than because we have 500 employees in London. Like, that's why we have an office here, obviously. (laughs) Like, which which is not a great answer. Um, And now with a lot of leaders um, defaulting to a, a, a feeling that they have to tell people to come back. And they don't even know why. <laughs> They'll say, "We want you back," and the employee will will respond with, um, "For what? Mm. What? Why do I have to commute an hour? Why you know to to a place that isn't that great? What purpose does that office or workplace um, serve for me and for you?" And I think we're very sensitive to being told that you know the purpose of the workplace for my company is the same as the company next door like oh we have to collaborate we have to be connected it's not good enough it's not specific so the the clients i think that have been most uh successful at articulating the purpose of their workplace or workplaces um are really being specific and authentic. Where one company might say, oh, we want you to come and like collaborate. We have a life, uh, life sciences client who even simply we use this phrase, um, you know, the, the purpose of our headquarters is to accelerate our clinical speed. Yeah. With, with, you know, generically is, is, is a productivity measure for them. But if I have studied biology and decided to go work for a life sciences firm and they say, like, the reason you come here is because we have the activities, the events, the technology, the labs, the vendors, the client, like, you come here to accelerate clinical speed. Mm. That gets me out of bed because of all the list of things that my office or my home could be good for. My home is fine for like doing my spreadsheet work. My home is not fine really for accelerating clinical speed. It will never beat the workplace. It has all the other things. Yeah. That gets me out of bed. That earns my commute. 
Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I think particularly where you're dealing with industries which have specific technology required to do your job, that that makes sense to me. Um, Where it becomes a little grayer is where it's difficult to make the argument that there are specific tools and equipment that you might want to right. use. So in that case, give me, give me an example of that it's case. Difficult so, for, you, for, for the accountants, right, who are doing Yeah, it. or, you know, look, I mean, a digital advertising agency, the whole point was that everything was digitized. You could automate a lot of the processes. You'd use technology to do that. But actually, it didn't really dawn on us that we could do it all remotely. And I'm looking at it now and thinking, okay, so what were the characteristics of a great office experience or what were the things about that workplace which meant that people wanted to come in apart from by the way the the fact that most of our employees are under 25 and actually they did just want to congregate because at that age you just want to see other people but i'm, I'm interested in from that type see, of business. See and, yeah and i don't think just on that point um see like i'll hear a lot oh the the, the younger employees they want to come in to be mentored and to learn and to be together and be like, yes. And quite possibly find someone else to date. Like, let's yeah, not yeah, forget yeah. that. Like yeah. that, that their desire to find a potential mate in a high velocity, you know, uh, heterogeneous population of interesting people in their same city uh, is it not insignificant <laughs> the desire to get, to get out of bed and go in. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, and it comes back to <clears throat> again not not thinking about it from the perspective of why is my office so great, but rather what are the moments in the our whole life cycle as individual employees and as a company? What are the moments that matter? Yeah, and one of them might be uh, not just like <clears throat> collaborating on some next campaign. But breaking it down to, you know, kickoff and planning to major design review with a client to uh, the actual like sales pitch or quarterly business review, something like you, you can go down to the activities and say, ah, for those activities, things are objectively better and hopefully in a way you can prove when we are together in real time mostly if not entirely in the same physical place mm. and if you can align on that and say these moments it really matters that we wow the client that we can brainstorm freely that we can have access to many screens and lots of technology right? say that say okay great what is the best place for that to take place and <clears throat> it's it may not always be the one office that you can put together, right? For things to happen somewhat episodically like mm. that. And yeah. the more that the flexible offering is out there, the more you may realize saying, saying our office is not that great is not necessarily preclude you from saying, but we still want to get together. Yeah. I, I quite like this idea that the on-site is the new off-site. Yes. Right. And, Again, I'm thinking about cadence and because we're so conditioned to thinking in weekly cycles, well, most businesses are, that's where the conversations ended or well, it has ended in a lot of cases, but it's where it begins and ends for many companies in the hybrid conversation. How many days a week 
should we return to the office? Again, I'm I'm interested in whether whether I just I spend too long looking at this stuff. It's almost like I'm, it's selective bias. I'm trying to find examples where there are companies who are taking this attitude. Where we are, we don't need to meet every week. We can do it every month or even every three months, you know. And we get together for those types of experiences you just described there. But look, we recognise that. The average average home or the average space is better for the average worker than the, the office. But yeah, we want to get together and congregate. We're just going to do it far less frequently. So are there many examples of companies doing it like that? Or actually have are, st- are most, most still reverting to that weekly idea, that weekly cadence? I think if you look at the, or it's, it's interesting to look at the fully distributed, fully remote companies from even before COVID and how important it was for them to bring their staff or large groups of their staff together quarterly, twice a year, annually. And I know certainly from my, my time at WeWork where they used to do two large scale, all employee events per year from a connection perspective, which is often the word that is used to try to incentivize employees to come together once a week or multiple times per week. Oh, if you don't come together more than two times a week, we will lose connection because during COVID, when we were all apart in our little boxes, we lost some sense of connection. That's all here. And a few things. One, like a WeWork time, you get you get an enormous amount of karmic, you know, gas in the tank by, you know, infrequent but very focused, very high experience, high connection kind of events. Yeah. Once every six months, you know, we think we think of our normal lives. We do that with you know close friends that we don't we only see once a year, and like that one big dinner, that one weekend. You go for months of yeah. of, a, of reestablishing closeness and connection and, and being able to get a lot done you know, via text. But uh, when uh, my teammate WeWork was involved mostly in the, what we called it the, the time, the powered by we business. So that wasn't, you know, you come to us. It was like, we're going to come to you mm. and bring the best of WeWork's uh, design and community thinking possibly in your own context. But it, the beginning of that process, because we weren't talking about a building that, that we were, you know, had selected and was operating, we're going to someone else. We had to do a bit of consulting effectively at the beginning and would ask, what are you trying to accomplish here? What are your workplace goals and your vision? And uh, after having done that, you know, several dozen times, my team went back and looked and said, like, what were the themes that we have seen, and again, this is pre-COVID, across all of these studies around the world, different industries, different companies. Uh, and the word connection was far and away the most common problem that mm. these employers were articulating. And maybe it's because they, of something that they, uh, they witnessed in us and like in our headquarters in the building. But almost all these projects that was like a, a really defining north star you know element of what they wanted to do that was before 
So yeah. any company who tells me, oh, during COVID, we lost our sense of connection and we need to be back in the office two or three days a week to build connection. It comes back to you know the beginning of our conversation. Like their office was not driving connection, community and culture before. Yeah. If you think it was, you're kidding yourself. Or a colleague of mine said recently in a podcast, like if you think the office was the kind of linchpin of their, their culture, that's uh, it's a lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, we've got to wrap up in a minute. I'll give you two questions. You can answer which one you prefer. So either, what are you most excited about related to the future of work broadly? Or what are you most fearful about? I don't, it depends what sort of mood you're in. Good mood, bad mood, excited about, fearful about. I am excited that a future of working from anywhere, a future that allows us or, or sort of instructs us to be virtual first, mm-hmm. but by no means placeless, is actually a huge unlock for inclusion of people who, who always felt that the office didn't represent them or that they were not seen or heard the way they wanted to be. And it's yeah. uh, from introverts, women, minorities, people with disabilities, like uh, more of a virtual first environment is more inclusive for them. It allows us to reduce our demand on physical place, which is a big driver of carbon emissions and create a sense of equality uh, in, you know, around the world that lets people both like live where they want and work for whom they want. Yeah. Uh, it, it sort of leveled the playing field. And that, that doesn't mean that real, real estate and the office is dead by any means, um, <clears throat> but it will, it will force an acceleration of the experience required in future buildings um, to make us, you know, all around better environments that are smarter, healthier, more efficient, more attractive, more magnetic. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it and to being there. Yeah. Well, I'm sold. I'm excited too now. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for your time, Phil. Thank you, Ollie. And that was my conversation with Phil. I hope you enjoyed listening. For more on these themes, check out the links in the show notes and tune in again next week to hear me speak with Christine Armstrong. Thanks as ever for listening to the Future Work Life podcast. I'll see you here again soon.